There's only one nation, Raider Nation. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back. It's Friday night, Raider Nation. That means it's time for Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Booming up the West Coast from San Diego, from Baja, California, and Mexico, all the way up to the Canadian Rockies. We appreciate you guys being with us. It is draft day number two. The Raiders are selecting today, of course, as we record the show. We don't have the pick, but I want to start off this show with something that I kind of tweeted about this week. Oh, by the way, make sure you follow us on uh, Silver and Black Today's Twitter handle. You can find that at SNB Tonight, SNB, the letter B, Tonight on Twitter. Also, check out our YouTube channel. We are not there this week, but usually... We simulcast the show via video, so check out our YouTube channel, Silver and Black Today, you can find there as well. You can also follow me on Twitter, at LVGully, L-V-G-U-L-L-Y, I'll get to that in a second. Also, our good friend Mo Moten, my co-host, who during the summer months is on an, is in and out because he's busy with some other projects, but he will be here next week as we go through and review what the Raiders were able to do in the draft uh, uh, tonight and tomorrow and throughout uh, the rest of the the draft period this weekend. So we'll get into that in depth next week, right? Uh, But I want to touch on the top of the show around something that kind of bugged me this week, and that was, listen, I'm no no, uh, Pulitzer Prize winner from a journalism standpoint. Both I write, I contribute over on sportsnot.com, write about the Raiders. Uh, I've written throughout. Of course, I founded Silver and Black Today, the website, which started all of this. So I've been I've been a writer for a long time. I've also been on the radio, now covering the Raiders five years, and, and have a lot of experience doing that before as well. But I, I'm, I'm just dismayed. The Daryl Waller situation this week with rumors that, that the Green Bay tra- Packers were trying to trade for him. Now, I don't... I'm sure a lot of teams have called the Raiders about Darren Waller. There's no question. I mean, listen, the guy's talent is unbelievable. His story is unbelievable. Just an amazing human story and an amazing athlete, an amazing tight end. Who in their right mind wouldn't want Darren Waller? Of course. But that doesn't mean the Raiders are going to trade him. So I I was somewhat critical of us, including myself, by saying... This story that came out of a less than reliable source in Green Bay about the fact that they're trying to get Darren Waller because it went beyond like it was active. That led to a spat of stories. Now, again, it wasn't directed at one person, one publication. I had some tool on Twitter trying to tell me I'm trying to start a fight with my good friend Vinny Bonsignor because he had tweeted apparently in the hours or at some time frame before me that he was working on a story or something like that about this rumor. Now, Vinny, as you guys know, if you've listened to the show 
at our Vegas show as well. Vinny was a contributor on my show for two seasons before he moved to Las Vegas. He was a teammate of mine in Las Vegas at Raider Nation Radio. He's a good friend and someone I respect and someone who um, is, is, in my eyes, one of the best. So I'm just blown away that, first of all, these stories get so big that suddenly other more prominent publications write stories about it. Now, I get it. We're in the Twitter sphere. I know Twitter was in the news for a different reason this week because of Elon Musk. But we're in this situation where you can't say anything in the public square. Let's say Twitter is the public square. You can't say anything there anymore without someone taking it, deciding what it means for themselves, and then trying to play people off one another, right? So if I'm going to be critical of somebody I know or don't know, I'm going to come out and do it straight out. But I often get very thoughtful and deep in my own thoughts, I should say, when I, when I tweet things. Sometimes I tweet them, I'm thinking about leadership, I'm thinking about uh, faith, I'm thinking about family, I'm thinking about um, friends, and I'll tweet things out. I, I tweet a lot of quotes, as those of you who follow me know. I get motivation from a lot of those things. And and so when I see people jump in, oh, are you trying to say that so-and-so is not doing their job well? Like, nah. <laughs> what is wrong with people that today they use these platforms to, number one, spread gossip and rumors? Now, again, in the media industry, we talk about possibilities because things pop up. Now, if it's Tom Pelissaro or it's Adam Schefter or one of these guys who says, hey, we're hearing that the Packers are working hard to try to get Darren Waller. Okay, I get it. I get it. Okay, those guys, whether you like them or not, they're connected. That's what they get paid to do. But this story got so blown out of proportion that, yes, the beat writers like Vinny and others had to write about it because it's there. And their editors are, hey, there's there's a lot of traffic on this. We got to get a story up because we need people to come to the website. That's how businesses make their their money. I get it. But this idea and and with with Elon Musk talking or buying Twitter this week and all the conversation around the platform and free speech and blah, 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 blah. It's just remarkable to me that we've gotten in in sports has always been a great piece of fun to engage with other fans, to have friendly rivalries and all this kind of stuff. But you're taking people's words and a thought that they might share in 280 characters, and you take that from step A, hey, why? It's, it's a sad state of journalism that we're writing stories about a rumor that was pretty much negated right when it happened, and you're taking it and making it personal and trying to pit two people against one another. To me, that's a whole nother level of negativity that we don't need in sports. We don't need in life goes back to the Derek Carr, why he blocks people on Twitter. And some of my some of my folks were surprised that I came out so strongly and supported Derek Carr. Oh, he's soft. He's this. He's that. No, 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 no. If you're going to be a tool in social media on Twitter, and I don't care if you listen to the show or if you don't listen to the show, because you could disagree. With, I got no problem with disagreement, and I'm wrong plenty, like everybody else out there. I'm wrong all the time, whether it's Raider stuff, whether it's life. Sometimes I make rash decisions like we all do. I mean, yes, we're all human beings. Okay. So I I don't mind that. I don't mind open disagreement or telling me I'm wrong or telling me why I'm wrong and having the discussion, even if it's in a digital format. I got no problem with that. Totally cool. 
But when you go to the step of trying to pit people against each other, um, it, it's it's next level psychologically telling about where you're at as a person. Okay, because you're jumping to why why would you jump to negativity? Is that is that what it's about? Is that what Raider Nation? I don't think Raider Nation's about that. Yes, Raider Nation has its disagreements, like any family. But to try to pit people against each other, whether they're media or other fans, or it doesn't matter who they are, or what walk of life they come from, it's just ridiculous. I, I just wanted to start off with that, not to give credence to the people who do it. It's just, and I hate the whole "you you got to be better" thing that people tweet at you when they disagree with you. I hate that, but I would say this. Is this something you would do in front of somebody? Would you stand in front of me and if I was standing next to Vinny and say, hey, did you see Scott's tweet? He was trying to start a fight with you. No, you wouldn't because it's ridiculous. We're friends. We have mutual respect and and that's not how it goes. Doesn't mean we agree on everything either, but but we can disagree and do it like adults. So anyway, that was just my open. I wanted to get through that because I, I want Raider Nation, you're going into a really exciting time for this team. I really truly believe it. I've been around only five years covering the team, but I've seen the maturation in the last year. I've seen the process by which this team is operating currently compared to how it was the last three or four years. And it's just different. Add in the talent acquired, add in the coaching and the excitement around what I think Josh McDaniels will bring on the field along with his staff, which is a stellar staff, and, and, and you have everything to be excited about, not to be contentious about, okay, yes, half of you will hate Derek Carr and half of you will love Derek Carr, whether he cures cancer, solves world hunger, uh, and walks on water. It doesn't matter. If he does that, there'll still be 40% of you who hate him. Okay, I get it. That's fine. You could disagree on it. Totally cool. But but I just think it's it's such a positive time. And yes, the Raiders have to do it on the field. And as I record this, I can't talk about the Raiders draft picks because I'm doing it before the draft picks were made. But I will tell you that this team will operate differently and this team will fill the needs it has. It already has in free agency. Devonte Adams, as you know, that's your number one and number two draft pick. Hey, if that was your number one pick and he was coming out of the college draft, everybody would be happy and they would go home, have a, have a Modelo, hang out and, and be done with it and just count the days down until camp. Okay. So, so I think that's the thing I'm trying to do. And maybe, maybe it's the, the effect that Easter had on me, whatever it is. There just needs to be more peace. There needs to be, Raider Nation needs to be cohesively together. I, I, listen, it's been a long time. This, this team has struggled. You are, you are the most loyal fans to me in all of sports. And I say that because there's other fan bases who've had long, dry streaks. But many of them, I think, accepted it. Raider Nation wants excellence, just like Al Davis wanted excellence. Raider Nation wants it. And I think they're closer to it now than they've been in 25 years. So so I get you have to be skeptical because you've been burned too many times. I get it. I mean, the last couple of years even, we, we had some excitement going around and all kinds of crazy things happened. But I will tell you this. There is a different mentality. There is a different culture. And as you will see from the draft picks the Raiders have made, that is true there too. So, so I just think it's time to come together and it's time to be willing to open up and, and, and trust 
what's happening with the team, knowing that you could get hurt. Yes, it's <laughs> because you guys have been hurt over and over and over and over again. I get it. The skepticism until they get on the field and they start beating the Chiefs and they start beating the rest of the division and they start beating uh, out of division competitive teams with the schedule they have in 2022. I know it's going to take some time for you to get on the bandwagon. And I say bandwagon, meaning that, yes, this team's actually going to do something. Now, it's a tough division. It's a tough schedule. The AFC overall is very tough. But this Raider team, to me, has the possibility, depending if they continue to work and tinker on some of the issues they have, they have the ability, I believe. You know, last year they won 10 games with all that was going on around them. They could have won at least one more, I believe, that they should have won. So could this team win 12, 13 games? 14? I don't know about 14. That 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 starts to feel weird to me. But 12 or 13 games next year, absolutely. I, I truly believe that. And you guys know, because half of you tell me sometimes, oh, you're being uh, you're a Raider hater. You grew up a Charger fan. <laughs> uh, the Charger fan people still crack me up because they're like four years behind. But anyway, the, the, the situation here is I think this team, if you give it the opportunity and you look at the coaching staff, the front office, not just Ziegler and McDaniels, but look at who else they brought in, Champ Kelly. All these guys who were there, all the assistant coaches, Patrick Graham, these guys, I'm telling you, there is a different deal going on here. And so you have to be willing to open up and you have to be willing to trust. Your Raider fans, do or die, I get that. It doesn't matter if they win or lose, you're still going to be a Raiders fan. But I just think as far as the group, the culture of getting along, look, disagree on stuff, that's fine. But everybody's got the opportunity now to prove everything. Derek Carr's got everything he needs now, right? He needs, Yeah, he needs some help on the right side of the line. We'll give him that. But that's not an excuse this year. He's got everything he needs. So if Derek Carr, for those people who don't think he's good enough, you'll find out this year. For those of you people who think that Derek Carr can lead this team deep into the playoffs and perhaps to the Super Bowl, you'll start to find out this year too. So that's the great thing about it. It's a meritocracy. And so now you get the opportunity to see what this team will do. But I do believe that the coming together of Raider Nation, I think the losing the turmoil, just like in any family, when you have the heads of the family, your parents, your grandparents, whoever, your aunt, uncle, whoever you grew up with, when there's disarray there, everybody else is in disarray. So you've seen the Raider front office, you know, from, from the Reggie McKenzie era into the John Gruden era, into the Mike Mayock era, and all that came with that. You saw for a while there, that first year with Gruden, everybody knew it was going to be rough. And the, the Cleo Mack thing happens, which nobody really wanted to happen. But it did. So you saw all that happen. But you saw, so the, so the kids are all running around the yard all crazy. And I, and I don't mean to belittle anybody. I'm not calling you kids. I'm just using the, the, the analogy. But now you have a stability. You got guys, shout out to my guy Kev, who have six rings. And you can blow that off as, oh, it's Bill Belichick. Doesn't matter. You came out of the organization. You understand, you watched, you learned, you absorbed. They have brought that in. They're not going to do everything the way Belichick did it, okay? That's not going to happen, the Patriot way. Yes, there's going to be some of it. 
And you'll see through this draft some of that. But what you're not going to see is this disarray, this lack of professionalism. And some people are like, what are you talking about? Gruden, there's no lack of professionalism. I disagree. There was. There guys were, some of these guys were out of control. I mean, you go through the COVID situation and the breaking of protocols. Yes, there were other teams who were bad too, but that all goes to the top. When you're the head of the organization as Gruden was or now as, as Ziegler is, there should be a sign on your desk that says, I'm responsible. And you're responsible for everything. And this group, I think, early on has shown you how they operate. And it's refreshing. It's incredibly refreshing because they're open. They're honest. They're not going to tell you everything. Of course not. I'm sure they learned that from Bill Belichick, too. And I don't blame them. But you look at the situation they're in. You look at how they've dealt with the media, how they've dealt with players, how they've dealt with talking about contract negotiations with Derek Carr and others, the trade they made, the idea of how they're going to put this team together. Guess what? There's big boys in the room now. They're wearing their big boy pants. They're brushing their teeth every morning. They're not snidely commenting on stuff. They're being pros. Nobody in that building seems to appear to be bigger than the logo on the building. Okay? Again, nobody in the building seems to think that they're bigger than the shield on the building. And that's a big deal. And I think that was a problem before. So now you have a different mentality. There's a new sheriff in town, however you want to say it. But this team and this fan base should be rallying and really, really excited. I know this draft was a little disappointing in some ways because the draft is exciting and fun. A lot of you are out in Las Vegas having fun at the draft. Good for you. Showing up in silver and black. But the Devonta Adams trade, everything they've done since they've been there, since Ziegler took over, has been fantastic and improved this team. So, so yes, you're a little bit disappointed you don't have anything crazy to do for the draft as far as looking for players and what they might do. But it's a good day. It's a good year to be a member of Raider Nation. There's no question. And it's just going to get more exciting. I know it's going to be tough, as it is for me, to wait until the season starts. And yes, we'll have OTAs. Those are not very exciting. Now we have voluntary workouts. Those aren't very exciting. But when we get to camp in July, and we'll have some big news about our coverage of that coming up, by the way. Um, it's going to be exciting, and I think all of you need to jump on board, hold hands, even if you don't like the guy next to you. Maybe you will later on when you guys are both vindicated and this team wins, okay? So that's all. That's all I wanted to say, and and we will have, by the way, next week, we're going to get way into the draft. I didn't want to get too into the draft pre. There's a million people talking about it, but Mo Moten will be back next week, and we're going to go through this Raiders draft what they were able to do, and the needs that they address. So stay tuned for that. We'll also be back on YouTube next week. We are not on YouTube this week, but we will be that. We will do that. Coming up after the break, of course, we lost Daryl LaMonica last week, uh, one of the Raider greats, the Mad Bomber, uh, former Notre Dame quarterback, of course. Just an amazing guy, an amazing player. We want to remember him. We're going to bring you our conversation with him from just a couple years ago. But if you haven't heard it, please, please don't change the channel. Listen to it. It's fascinating. What a great, great man. We're going to miss him uh, here on Silver and Black tonight. So we'll have that coming up, and then we will be back after this break. You're listening to Silver and Black tonight only on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Don't go anywhere.
We will be right back with Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. To Scott and Mo on Silver and Black tonight on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Welcome back, Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. Of course, we lost a Raider great uh, last week. That was, of course, quarterback Daryl LaMonica. We want to spend the rest of our show sharing a conversation we had with Daryl LaMonica just a few years back. So without further ado, rest in peace, Daryl LaMonica, one of the Raider greats. Here's our interview with him. Only on Silver and Black tonight. Part of what we like to do, and and I've really for a long time, because of my affinity for Notre Dame football, because of my Italian heritage on the one side of my family, I've wanted for the longest time to interview who we're going to talk to next on the Newsmaker line, and that is the Mad Bomber. That is Raiders great quarterback Daryl LaMonica, who's going to join us just to give you guys, especially for younger fans who may be are new to the t- the Raider Nation, don't know a lot about Raider history, or you're learning about Raider history, you look at Daryl LaMonica, drafted by the NFL and the AFL in 1963, by the, in the NFL, drafted by the Packers, and in the AFL, drafted by the Buffalo Bills, then traded later to the Raiders, two-time Pro Bowler, three-time AFL champion, three-time AFL All-Star, two-time first-team All-AFL two-time AFL Most Valuable Player Award in 67 and the year I was born, 69, AFL Passing Yards Leader in 69, two-time AFL Passing Touchdown Leader, and he was also the AFL Rushing Touchdowns Co-Leader in 1964, and that is one Mr. Daryl LaMonica. Daryl, thanks for joining us here on the Silver and Black today. My pleasure, Scott. It's awesome to have you here. Uh, and as as someone who, uh, when I was very young, I, I actually got to see you play and watch you play. And so uh, very, very cool for me. Uh, but I want to start, you know, a lot of people know with, with Al Davis, and we'll get into some Al Davis stories soon, but with Al Davis uh, and you and, and the vertical game that he loved, the Mad Bomber uh, nickname came to you, but it came to you from Howard Cosell, correct? Uh, that it did, uh, Scott. Uh, I don't know, on, on Monday night, I'd thrown a bunch of touchdown passes, and, you know, uh, Howard come up with this on national TV, he says, he's the Mad Bomber. <laughs> you know, I said, well, that's a kind of a crazy name and everything, but the very next week, uh, we were playing at home, and I get under center, and I look out, and I make contact with the left corner, 
and they backed up two steps. And I go, ooh, I like that. <laughs> so I was trying to take advantage of it as best I could after that, but it's a name that stuck, and uh, I live with it today. You do, and and that's the funny thing about nicknames too, uh, Daryl, is that you don't you don't get to choose them all the time. And so <laughs> I know for players, sometimes it, it's it's not what they like, or but in your case, it actually fit really well, especially with that that early uh, that time with the Raiders and in, in that era when you guys were playing. Um, and and but but leading up to this, of course, you're you're from the Central Valley, from Clovis, from Fresno, California, um, and growing up there, unlike a lot of kids, and I I have kids, uh, I have five total, I have three young boys still at home. And the thing that bothers me most about this is that a lot of kids get locked into only one sport. You were a multi-sport star at Clovis High School coming out of there before you went to Notre Dame. And in fact, you played in the first ever Little League World Series in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Did you not? I did, that I did. And uh, that was one of my first real big sports thrill. And, you know, baseball and football was my strongest sports. And uh, I was always going to be a professional baseball player. No doubt about that. I turned down a... Uh, $50,000 bonus plus contract with the Chicago Cubs in 1959 too out of high school and, and, but decided to go on to Notre Dame and get my college education and I'm, I'm glad I did that too. But yeah, I still have a, uh, <clears throat> a lot of good memories uh, of those young days. Oh yeah, and and you were you lettered in four sports in high school, uh, track, football, basketball as well, um, and, and baseball. So so you were there, and and I know Clovis. The, the football field is named after you, correct? At, at Clovis That's High School, right? Yes, uh, I'm very proud and. That uh, makes me feel really good inside. That's awesome. That is great. Now, you came out of Clovis High School, uh, and uh, you go to Notre Dame, and it was, and as you and I talked about the other day, um, you had the Notre Dame was not at the top of, of the heap at that time when you played there, but you were, uh, you came into the 1962 East-West Shrine game, and you were the most valuable player, and, and a couple people noticed you there. One was Vince Lombardi, correct? Uh, yeah, that, that's true, but um, I was drafted by Vince Lombardi, uh, and I remember we were at a banquet, and he says, Daryl, I would like to ask your personal question. I said, sure, coach. He says, uh, how come you didn't sign with us uh, out of uh, college? I says, well, your, your scout got in touch with me, said you'd be back with me in, 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 in a, a few days, and three or four weeks went by, and you never called I just assumed you didn't want it, so I signed with the Buffalo Bills before I went and played in the All-Star game. <laughs> and he says, I knew it. He says, you know, Bart got hurt this year. He says, you'd have been my starting quarterback. And I looked at him, and he turned and started talking to the guy next to him. And that's <clears throat> one of the best compliments you know I've ever had. Yeah, I mean, coming from from the great Vince Lombardi, absolutely. And uh, the fact that he wanted to draft you is amazing, and it, it talks to uh, how he was impressed with with your talent. Of course, you like you said, you signed with the Bills. Then in 1967, you're traded to the Raiders uh, with Glenn Bass for uh, Art Powell and another Fresno native, native Tom Flores. Uh, and and of course, you were with the Raiders until 1974. And that year, you guys went on to go 13 and one in the regular season, won the division title uh, with you at the starting quarterback AFL title game you beat the Oilers uh 40 to 7 before losing to the Packers in the Super Bowl how was that transition for you going from the team that drafted you and showed a lot of uh faith in you early on in the Bills to then coming over uh to Al Davis and the Raiders on the West Coast well you know you you work hard we never know you know what the future holds for us and you know we were very successful won two championships (laughs) in um Buffalo 
and I was ready to be a starting quarterback. In fact, the night before I was traded, I was talking to uh, Ralph Wilson, Jr. and Sr., and they said, you're going to come back be our starting quarterback and everything. I was so pumped up when I hung the phone up, I could run through a brick wall. <laughs> Eight hours later, I was traded to the Raiders. Oh, my goodness. And I was in a shot. I had to call the Fresno Bee, my hometown paper, to find out if it was true, and it is. And then I got home, and Al Davis had called, and I met with him the next day in the coaching staff. And uh, uh, first thing I did, I looked at the Raiders' schedule. <laughs> it says uh, the Buffalo Bills, the third league game in Buffalo. Ah. And I started preparing, you know, that day for, for that one game. And as luck would have it, we go back and I had a pretty good day and we beat him, I think, 43 to three, uh, six. <laughs> and so, um, but uh, it, it gave me an opportunity to, uh, to, to be a starting quarterback and, uh, you know, I played with some great athletes with the Bills, and uh, the Raiders had some great athletes, and I was able to be a a, a pretty good starter for uh, for seven uh, seven years uh, with the Raiders, and uh, so it was special. Yeah, absolutely, and a great run there. And and clearly, again, we're speaking to uh, Raiders great Daryl LaMonica, the Mad Bombers, with us on CBS Sports Radio 1140 here in Las Vegas. Uh, and Daryl, I know that you know that time that you spent with the Raiders. Talk a little bit about your relationship with Al Davis and what it was like for you, because a lot of players that we've talked to were later era and and they they knew the older Al. But talk about that 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 time in the '60s when the AFL and the NFL were going to eventually come together and merge. How was it being around Al Davis? Kind of what was your experience with him as both um, uh, general manager and and just a guy being around? Well. Al Davis, I think, had one of the, the, the best minds uh, in, in football ever. Uh, he was a real student of the game, and uh, <clears throat> you got to understand Al Davis's philosophy. You know, after a game, he would come up to me after every game. Mm-hmm. Say, What's the most important stat you had today? And uh, I'd look at him and says, uh, "No interceptions and no fumbles." <laughs> Al Davis preached that to us. No interceptions and no fumbles because the team had the best turnover ratio, won 93% of the time. Wow. That's a real big number. So, you know, but most people ask you, gee, did you win? They don't ask you how many touchdowns you throw or how many yards you throw for. And that's what made the, the Raiders so special. It was always about us and we. There was never I, I, or me, me's, or you did this, he did that, you know. It was, we did this, you know, and we did it together. And that's what made uh, the, the Raiders all the years that, that, at least I played with them, so special. Because we didn't care if the offense did it, the defense won, or special teams. All we cared about, did we win? And uh, that was Al Davis's philosophy, and that's why we were so so successful. Absolutely. Again, we're speaking to the Mad Bomber, Daryl LaMonica, Raider great, quarterback, of course. Um, and we're very, very fortunate as, as Daryl's agreed to stay with us through the break and into the next uh, segment where we'll finish up with him uh, before he probably goes out and, and does some fishing today. Right, Daryl? <laughs> well, I, I wish I was fishing today. No, so I got a family uh, entity I got to be at. So oh, okay, well we'll get you. We're gonna we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk to Daryl about 
Uh, what is it with Fresno and quarterbacks with the Raiders? We'll ask him now. We'll also ask him a little bit about the modern game today and how it's changed. Uh, we appreciate him spending the time with us. So stick there. We'll be back with Daryl LaMonica right after the break here on CBS Sports Radio 1140. This is Silver and Black Today, live on CBS Sports Radio 1140. Welcome back to the Silver and Black Today here on CBS Sports Radio 1140, where we're joined by... The great Daryl LaMonica, that's right, the Mad Bomber, former Raiders quarterback, Notre Dame quarterback, Buffalo Bills quarterback, you name it. Uh, we're just uh, uh, just excited to be joined by him to talk football with uh, Daryl LaMonica from his home in Fresno today. And Daryl, before we move on to some, some conversation about the Raiders today, about the, fo- the game of football today, um, one of the things that I, w- I want to ask you about and get your perspective on, and I have a lot of fans in our social media channels asking us questions as we're talking to you, is around the Heidi game. Talk about, I mean, the Heidi game, for, for, for younger viewers and fans, it's hard for them to, to really wrap their heads around what it was like Back in the day when we watched TV and things, you didn't have a thousand channels, you didn't have uh, VCRs, you didn't have DVRs, you didn't have the internet. So like when a game wasn't on, you didn't get to see it. You got to hear it on the radio maybe and that was it. But being part of one of the NFL's most infamous and famous games where the Raiders, you know, you guys came back in, 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 uh, in unbelievable fashion against the Jets. Talk about the Heidi game and, and, and how much do you get asked about it? Well, you know, that's, that's, was a great game for us. Uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the, the, the Jets, uh, Joe Namath and I, you know, went head to head a lot of times and, uh, through, uh, for a lot of yardage and stuff, but we were playing the Jets at home and the score went back and forth, back and forth and got down to like three minutes. They kicked a, a field goal, three or four minutes left in the game. And, uh, you know, I was able to, on the next series, I was able to hit Charlie Smith on a long touchdown pass uh, down the hash mark. And uh, it was called back because one of my wide receivers was in motion. And I can remember Johnny Sample come up. He was a left corner. He come up and patted me on the rear end. He says, nice pass, LaMonica. Better luck next year. <laughs> <laughs> well, that fired my Irish temper up just a little bit. I said, look, the game's not over with yet. And as luck would have it, we punted the ball. Uh, our defense holds three and out. I get the ball back with like a minute, 25 seconds. And uh, so I said, Charlie, I says, do a deep crossing pattern. Uh, their middle linebacker uh, was out of the game, and I was able to hit Charlie on a deep crossing pattern. He took it up the right uh, sideline for like a 65-yard touchdown pass. And we kick off. They fumbled the ball, Preston Riddle Huber recovers it in the end zone, and we score another touchdown. Yeah. So in a matter of like seven, eight seconds, <laughs> we score two touchdown passes. And uh, now we have no idea. You know, we've been taken off of national TV and the movie Heidi was put on. <laughs> uh, so, but that's kind of the, the, the way it ended up. And I, I did. I, I found Johnny going up the tunnel, and I just had to go by and pat him on the backside and say, hey, I told you the game would go with yeah, you. So it's, right. a, it's a game that went down in... Uh, Namath and I were were always involved because we love throwing the ball down the field, and uh, we love to compete. 
Again, we're speaking to Raider great quarterback Daryl LaMonica joining us from his home in Fresno. And, and Daryl, I, I think that that's one of the things when you look at the modern game today and how it's changed – Primarily, you know, athletes change over time. There's no question. Um, speed and all these other things. And it started with Cliff, who we unfortunately lost earlier uh, at their end of last year, I should say. But uh, when you look at the game today, the way the NFL has structured the rules, it clearly favors the offense. To your point about needing defense to win championships, at the same time now, because cornerbacks can't bump and run, you know, the Raider great Mike Haynes, Hall of Famer, you know, I talked to him about it and he said, man, it would be different today uh, playing because of the way the rules are. For you as a quarterback, uh, looking at it and, and you see young quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, other guys who have been through the league in the last 10 or so years. Um, talk about that evolution of the game on offense and what it would be like for you, a guy who liked to go vertical, uh, what it would be like for you to play today against uh, uh, teams today with these rules. Well, I'd like to play today, but the rules of quarterback. <laughs> you can't even hit a quarterback. You can't hit him with his shoulder pads up or with his knees down. He wears a flak jacket. Uh, you can intentionally ground the ball. Uh, I mean, really, nobody can really lay a hand on the quarterback now. Absolutely. And, you know, you, you can play uh, 15 years with no problem, you know, and stuff. But, you know, it, it gets down to, to back down to the players. I really believe uh, that comes from within the coaching staff. Um, to me, um, coaches and players, I want the input from my players. I want to know what you did. If you beat a guy in college, it means you know you you controlled him in college. Why can't you control him in, in the pros? There's no no difference. You know, so you start everybody equal, and uh, you get everybody's input. And then you put your down and distance together. See, down and distance is a football game. You got, you know, a third and short, third and long. Uh, you got a couple passes, a couple runs. Uh, you can move right on down the field. And, and every conceivable situation that you can face in a game is played, and that's what you work on. You don't have 80, 90 plays of, of the same play. You only have 70, 75 plays a game that you have, and you might only use 17 plays that you have. So it's not a matter that your your, your playbook's so big it's the players can't remember all the plays. I want to take advantage of, and that's the Raiders' philosophy when I played. We uh, could move our receivers around. I'd put two and three wide receivers on the same side, and you want to see who was going to cover them. All you're trying to do is be one-on-one, -on -one and you're trying to – this is Al Davis' philosophy, too. All he wanted to make is eight or nine big plays a game. Yep. And, you know, the rest of the time, run as much time as you can off the clock. And if you do that and, and you don't have those interceptions and fumbles, you win 93% of the time. And, and that's how, how simple the game is. We try to complicate it, I think, and coaches try to complicate it. You just have to use uh, the talent that you have and, you know, use it to your best advantage. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you win with defense, and as an old quarterback, that's, that's tough to say. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, and, and Daryl, we got just a couple minutes left, left with you. And again, thank you for being so generous with your time on this Sunday. Um, but we, we also know a lot of people like to know what you're up to. Um, we do know from, from recent past that you, you've hosted TV shows around fishing and hunting. And I know you still do a lot of that on your, on your time. But uh, tell everybody what you're up to and, and what you spend your days doing uh, now up in Fresno. 
Well, you know, I, I retired here and I want to raise my family right now. And right now I'm really enjoying uh, my grandkids. You know, I got yeah. a, a granddaughter that's 11 and I got a little grandson that's three. And we're waiting any minute now to uh, have another grandson that's going to be here. Oh, nice. Congratulations. Uh, any day now. So we're, we're on countdown right now. So we're looking forward to another little quarterback in uh, another <laughs> family. And, you know, that's that's what's special for me. I've, I've got a great family. Uh, I'm Grandpa. And I think that's what I'm most proud of right now, that I'm watching my grandkids grow up. And now with uh, maybe two little quarterbacks in the system, uh, that would even be more exciting. <laughs> and so, yes, I, 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 I was born and raised on, on, on a farm here in Fresno, peaches and grapes. So Dad taught me what work was all about well before the sun come up to well after it went down. Oh, yeah. And uh, I do. I enjoy my the, the outdoors, uh, hunting and fishing. And I've been spending a lot of time uh, my basketball. Uh, fishing the last uh, couple months, and so I'm very content uh, with where I'm at, and I still like to watch those football games on the weekend. <laughs> well, there you're having our conversation with Raider great Daryl LaMonica. Uh, geez, just a great loss for uh, Raider Nation, and our best out to his family up in Fresno. Just an amazing player, and you know, most of us weren't alive, uh, at least listening to the show, that uh, to appreciate how good he was and what he meant to that Raider franchise and his relationship with Al Davis. Obviously, if you read any of the books about the Raiders, you will hear just how much he cared for and loved Daryl LaMonica. Daryl LaMonica, up until his dying day, was involved with the Raiders out in Vegas, up in Northern California, you name it, he was around. So our best to his family, our best to you as well. We'll be back next week with a brand new show. We're going to go through all the Raiders draft picks, what they did on draft night tonight into tomorrow. So we appreciate you guys being with us on Southern California's only All Raiders talk show that, of course, is Silver and Black tonight here on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio. We'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Please catch Silver and Black tonight every Friday at 6 p.m. on the Mightier 1090 ESPN Radio.